the last couple of weeks, as I said, uh, we've been talking about what is the church, and uh, Matt Q uh, did a great job the last two weeks speaking about the essence of the church. And I want to begin this week as we think more about the church, and specifically our question today is, what's the purpose of the church? So if you have your Bibles, you could turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll be in several places, but, um, but this is uh, kind of the bulk of, of where we'll be. And this is a, a passage that helps us understand how the church is to live. It reminds us of what our priorities are in this world as God's people. So as you read along with me or, or listen, um, I want you to think uh, not just about you in this passage individually, but you as a part of the church. Our default as Westerners, as Americans, is to come to Scripture and to think really individually, even though so often Scripture is talking to God's people in, in a corporate way. It's not, it's not just about you. I wish, I wish we were like computers and I could just go in to the settings and just change your default mode to, to think of us corporately as a whole church rather than individuals, but I, I have not figured out how to do that, and you should probably be glad for that, actually, that I can't change your settings. So um, let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Uh, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And we'll come back to uh, that passage in a minute. Um, I don't know if you've heard the term feature creep before. It's one that I was not familiar with. But feature creep is um, it's an excessive uh, ongoing expansion or addition of new features in a product. So particularly like in the, in the software world, in video games, in consumer and business electronics. Um, in the 90s, several companies at the same time were trying to launch uh, this new product called the Personal Digital Assistant. Some of you remember this product. We, we called it a PDA. Um, in the early 90s, uh, PDAs had an unblemished record of total failure. Um, several, several 
companies launched PDAs and they died right away. Apple's uh, famous debacle with its Newton PDA um, made other competitors gun shy. Like if Apple can't do this, who can? Well, you might remember the Palm Pilot. The Palm Pilot is really who made uh, the, the PDA uh, famous. Uh, they were aware of feature creep. They were very aware of this danger and they took a hard line against it when they began their work. Uh, one of the early competitors, of the PDA uh, back in 94, it came out with their product and, and it looked like a malnourished computer. It, it was this bulky device, it had a keyboard with it, all of these ports, it, it, it was pretty ridiculous. Uh, the Palm Pilot team leader, Jeff Hawkins, he was determined that their product would not die to feature creep. Uh, he wanted the Palm Pilot to be simple. It was only going to handle four things, calendars, contacts, memos, and, and tasks lists. So they would only do, the Palm Pilot would only do these four things, but it would do uh, these four things incredibly well. So he fought feature creep in, in a very creative way. He carried around with him a wooden block that, that was the size of the Palm Pilot. You can, I think we have a picture of the Palm Pilot maybe. Um, he'd, he'd carry around this little wooden block um, to remind his team what the product was about and, and, and what it had room for and what it didn't have room for. Uh, Trey Valiseo, a member of, of the design team, said the block was dumb, which resonated with its simple technological goals of the product, but it was also small, which made the product elegant and different. So Hawkins would, would have this little wood block everywhere he went, and in meetings, he would pull out this wooden block and pretend like he was taking notes on it. In the hallway, he would pull out this little wooden block representing the Palm Pilot, and he would check his calendar. If someone had an idea for a feature to add, he'd pull out the block and say, well, where would that fit? Jeff did a great job of helping the Palm Pilot team stick to what made the Palm Pilot successful. Right? He knew the purpose, and he made sure that, that the team knew the purpose so that it wouldn't die the death of feature creep. The church needs to understand what it is. We need to know what our purpose is. I think Matt did a solid job over the last couple of weeks helping us understand the essence of the church. And today we're talking purpose of the church and it'll be from like a 30,000 foot view. So we won't get into maybe some of the nitty gritty details that, that maybe you want to get into, but I'd encourage you to explore that uh, yourself. But what is the purpose of the church? Uh, in Matt's first sermon, he read from Ephesians 3.21 and it just jumped off the page at me. It says, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The purpose of the church is to glorify God. This is what we're here for. God's glory, church, is what our heart beats for collectively. For the believer, God's glory ought to be what matters most. And we can, um, we can start with the great commandment and the great commission, both found in Matthew. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. 36. Someone came to Jesus and said, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And we know this, church, the greatest commandment that, that Christians uh, are, are, are to fully obey is, is loving God fully with all of who we are. We're, we're to love God in an all-encompassing way. It doesn't leave any part of who we are or our life out. 
If you bought into a brand of Christianity that, that calls for less than all of yourself to Jesus, you've believed in a lie. Jesus says that this is the greatest commandment, to fully love God with, with all that you have, with all that you are. Church, we live for him. We live for his glory with every aspect of our lives. The church's purpose is to glorify God, to, to, help, to help show God's glory to everyone, to help show how great he is, how good he is, how beautiful, how compassionate our God is, how just, how powerful, how merciful, how gracious, how loving. We can go on and on and on, but we want to glorify God. Kevin Hooser writes, the church's main business is living each day, all day, to the glory of God. We might remember uh, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, and let's keep going on here. Just after the, the, the greatest commandment, verse 39 um, Back in Matthew 22, he says, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. So part of how we glorify God is how we relate with others. Both Christians and non-Christians were called to love others as we love ourselves. And the Great Commission also helps us to understand how we, how we glorify God and, and how we engage the, the world and, and letting them know about this great God. Matthew 28, 19, this is before Jesus ascends. It says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So what's the purpose of the church? It's to glorify God. Right? The church is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about your coworker. It's not about your neighbor. It's not about your mom or whoever else. The, the church is about God, but we are great at making the church about people. The gravitational pull that every church must fight is, is to not make it about people, but to keep it about God's glory. And we can do this in, in many, many ways. We, we do do this in many ways. But there are two that are very sneaky uh, because they sound biblical and they're on either extreme. Well, on one end, we can make the church primarily exist to evangelize. And this sounds good and right because obviously we want the lost to come to know Jesus. We want them to come to a church and to hear the gospel, right? This is biblical, but with a sleight of hand, a church can be about non-Christians more so than it is about glorifying God. You might have heard of, you might remember the, the seeker-sensitive movement in churches. Um, it, it, was, it was off, and I'm sure there's some things that were probably good about it, but, but their, their big problem was their aim was not at God's glory. The seeker-sensitive church, if you don't know about it, it, it tried to get in the minds of an unbeliever in order to get them into a church building, to get them to feel comfortable in church, to like church. And the hope was that they would get to hear a gospel message and respond. Uh, a lot of times that gospel message 
It was watered down. It was softened to make it more palatable for the person who rejects Jesus. It was not primarily about God. It was about people, specifically people that didn't know Jesus. Everything was planned with the unbeliever in mind, from the welcome team to the coffee bar to the style of music to the programs, even the feel of the building. Here's what happened. In an attempt to win the lost, the church lost who the church was about and therefore who they were. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, obviously way before the seeker-sensitive movement, but he, he said this. He, he said, I believe that one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. And he also said, the very church which the world likes uh, best is sure to be that which God abhors. So on one end, we make the church not about God, but about people by, by just trying to evangelize. And on the other end, we make the church whose purpose is, is, is Christian growth, right? Everything we do is about us. It's about growing us, building up the church, lots of classes, lots of programs for the church. Everything becomes about feeding the Christian Right? And, the, and the local church certainly does exist for Christians. And, it, and that's, this is closer than, than the seeker-sensitive movement, but it still misses the priorities of the church in Scripture. Tim uh, Challies writes, When we understand that the local church exists by God and for God, we see that God's glory, not the needs of saved or unsaved, is meant to be the ultimate determining factor for all the church does. The church does emphasize reaching the lost. It does emphasize edifying the saved, but it does so in ways that are honoring to God and consistent with his will. So the church, that's not about us. It's about God's glory. Ephesians 3.10, another verse that Matt read a couple weeks ago, says, so that through the church, the manifold or the multifaceted wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. It is through the church that the glory of God will be made known to the world. This is what the church is to do. Well, how do we go about this? I'm going to break it down into three primary ways. Worship, right, which isn't just singing, um, discipleship, and by that I mean Christians growing together, following Christ together, uh, edifying the, the body. And then lastly, evangelism. Mark Dever says it this way. He says, the proper ends for a local congregation's life and actions are the worship of God, the edification of the church, and the evangelization of the world. These three purposes in turn serve to glorify God. So back to our 2 Corinthians passage, 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14. It starts off, it says, for the love of Christ controls us. And he goes on, he says that, that, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Right? The church is to be controlled by the love of Christ, or one translation, I think, reads, compelled by the love of Christ. The Christ follower has been so changed by the gospel that they're controlled by the overwhelming love, the, the reality that, that, that Christ has reconciled them to God by his blood. 
If you were uh, to go uh, whitewater rafting on the Deschutes just outside of Maupin towards the, the end of uh, the, I think it's an eight-mile float, um, there's a place called Lower Elevators or, or Swimmer's Rapids. And what you can do there, a lot of boats will pull over there, and then you hike up, and your guide tells you this, this part of the river to jump into. And you jump, and the current is right there. And you jump in with your flotation device on, obviously. You jump in and you ride down the, the rapid. And, and, and it, it's a ton of waves. Uh, hence, it's called elevators. You go up and down and up and down. And then when you're at the tail end, you swim like crazy out of that current and, and you get over uh, to, uh, to the shore. If you can't, your guide throws a rope and pulls you in. Um, but when you jump in, there's only one way you're going. Right? No matter what you might want to do, you jump in that current and it's shooting you down the river. You could, have, you could be in your raft with a ton of great paddlers all working together and they would not be able to beat the, the current of that river. The current compels you, it controls you to move in that direction. And isn't, that, isn't it that way when we meet Christ, when we're confronted with the love of Jesus? Do you remember when that happened? in your life, when when suddenly the gospel made sense, maybe you'd heard it dozens upon dozens of times and it it didn't make sense to you. And and then you heard it and you came to realize and understand the good news that Jesus died for you and it changes everything. The, The direction of your life is completely changed. God's given you life and he's turned everything upside down. All your priorities are reset, they're adjusted to the worship of Christ with all that you are. The Christian, the church is controlled by this reality and our heartbeat is to glorify God. Your life is an offering to Christ as Paul talks about in Romans 12, that we're to offer up our whole selves as this living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul goes on, he says, uh, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Right? We're so changed by the gospel, by this new life becoming a new creation that, that we don't even see the world like we used to. We're, we're now motivated to glorify God. We want people to know how majestic, how great, how awesome God is. And now we see the world through the spiritual lens. We see it with spiritual eyes. This is how we view our neighbors, our coworkers, friends, and family. Right? For those that, that we know that, that have trusted in Christ, we long for them to continue in Christ, to grow in Jesus the church is, is growing believers in knowing Christ and becoming more like Christ as his disciples in, in how, how we think, feel, and act. We long for those who haven't trusted in Jesus, for, for them to come to know Christ, to, to give their life to Christ. Verse 18, he says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Right? These verses are shocking. It's, it's unbelievable that, that Christ came to reconcile us 
I don't know if it's more unbelievable or the same or less, I'm not sure, but it's unbelievable that he gives his church the ministry of reconciliation. Right? This is nuts. That the, the, the church is about the ministry of reconciling people to God through Jesus. This is our mission. Remember, we just read the, the Great Commission. Go make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded. Right? God has trusted his church with this mission. Um, there are certain tasks that you will trust a lot of people with, right? Um, but, but there are other tasks that are pretty important, and you, 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 don't, want them to, you don't want them to get messed up, right? My, my kids, I don't think, are in this service. Oh, Caden is, huh? Um, we won't talk about him. But uh, if I have something really valuable I'm not going to hand it to my eight-year-old who's kind of crazy to go put it away, right? <laughs> I'm going to hand something like that to my oldest son, or maybe I'm just going to take care of that myself. You wouldn't think that God would trust his people with this ministry of reconciliation, and yet that's exactly what his plan is. Paul goes on in verse 20, he says, Therefore we're ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God's making his appeal through us. We're his representatives. We are ambassadors for the king of kings. We're controlled by the love of Christ. And we long, we long to see people who by nature reject God come to be reconciled with the Lord. That they too would be a part of God's people. This is an amazing thing. How how does, the church, how does the church live this out? We said through worship, uh, discipleship, and, and evangelism. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the Sunday gathering itself. So there we'll talk about more uh, what, what worship is on, on a Sunday gathering. And it's, and it's not just singing, right? It's, it's, it's focused primarily through uh, God's word. Right? So we read the Bible Right? We, we, we preach the Bible. We sing truths from the Bible. We, we, we talk about the Bible. We pray about the Bible. So we'll get into details more in a couple weeks on a Sunday. But, but worship also isn't just what we do on Sunday. Right? We're not just Christians for a couple hours Sunday morning. Worship is it's what we value and treasure. It's what we passionately pursue. It's it's what you love above all else. So are our lives marked with worship of the Lord? How are we doing as a church at this harvest? Is this evident when we gather? And not just during our service, right, when we've got all these things planned, but, but even before and after the service as we have what we call fellowship, right? Is it really fellowship that, that worships the Lord? Are we concerned with other people in our church growing in Jesus, continuing in Jesus, treasuring Jesus? Are we encouraging other people from our church to continue in Christ? 
as we go through our week, do we find ourselves thinking and praying on behalf of other believers in our church? When you have something to praise God for, do you do it? We had our men's breakfast uh, yesterday, which was the most normal thing I've done in like nine months. It, it, was, it was like this oasis. So there's a little commercial for the next men's breakfast. Um, but we were, we were pretty much done with our kind of programmed uh, thing. And, uh, and we were right on the cusp of breaking into like individual conversations with people. And, and, you know, and then we'd, we would leave. And, and someone uh, stopped us and, and just said, hey, can I share something about, uh, about what God is doing? And, and it was so encouraging. Like, are, are we ready to praise God and to encourage um, other brothers and sisters in Christ is our life as a church marked by the worship of God in all that we do? So, so we worship God. Uh, discipleship, and again, I, I call this discipleship, and what I mean is Christian growth, right? The edifying, the building up of the body of Christ, that together following Jesus. Uh, I think it's easy for me to, to think about discipleship primarily as this one-on-one -on -one thing that, that happens. Um, and, and yet, uh, Scripture's pretty clear that the discipleship is a, a task of the church. If your discipleship is only like one-on-one -on -one with the person that's helping you grow in Christ, you're, you're going to become a lopsided Christian. It, it would be like going to the gym and, um, and only doing curls, right, bicep curls, and only on your right arm, right? And you're awesome at those, but you would look really strange eventually, right? Having this one massive bicep. No, the, the church, the church disciples the, the body. Ephesians 4, 15 and following says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is, it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I hope you caught that when each part is working properly, the body grows, right? It is the church that disciples us. That's where discipleship happens. It's in our Sunday gatherings. It's in our fellowship. It's in living life together that discipleship occurs. It happens at things like men's breakfast and Bible studies. It'll happen tonight uh, for part two of the American Gospel, this, this documentary. We're gonna be discipled by, by brothers and sisters in Christ that we might never meet. It happens, uh, discipleship happens over coffee or on a walk or, uh, or, or at, at the kids' play group that, that, that hopefully someday will get to happen again. Discipleship happens when, when uh, families come together over a meal. And, and, and together encourage one another in Christ. Discipleship happens in, in all aspects of the church's life. So are you, are you growing, are we growing as disciples of Christ? Has, or has your growth stagnated? Right? Are you involved in the church? Like, are you really a part of your church, whether that's Harvest or, or if you're visiting some other church? How about our fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ? Right? Is there a depth to our conversation? Man, it is so easy for me to talk about weather 
or, or my kids or fishing or sports? Man, is there any depth in, in talking about Jesus and talking about what actually matters in our lives as believers? Remember, Peter calls us, as I read before, he calls us this royal priesthood that each of us in the body of Christ should be ministering as priests. So are we concerned with the building up of the body of Christ? Are you using your spiritual gift that God has given you in order to build up the body? Tim uh, Chester and Steve Timmis write, It is in the family of God that I'm able to care and be cared for, love and be loved, forgive and be forgiven, rebuke and be rebuked, encourage and be encouraged, all of which is essential to the task of being a disciple of the risen Lord Jesus. Our discipleship happens by the church and it glorifies Christ. Evangelism. And while the church is first a gathering of God's people, it's also a gathering that we would love for unbelievers to come to so that they can hear the gospel, so that they can see the gospel lived out by Christians. And as we read in 2 Corinthians 5, we've been given this ministry of reconciliation. So as the church, we are to holistically engage the world with the gospel There should be gospel works and gospel words in tandem sharing the gospel with the world. The church must have a heart for the world to come to know and trust in Jesus as their Savior. And this is both local, right, with our coworkers, neighbors, friends, family, but it's also global. It's to the nations. From cover to cover of the Bible, we see that God's heart has always been for the nations to come and worship him. John Piper wrote that missions exist because worship doesn't. The purpose of missions is to raise up people who worship God. The people from every nation will come to treasure Christ above all else. So evangelism isn't just a good option for the church. It's a critical piece to the life of the church. Uh, D.A. Carson, I'll I'll share a quote from him, but first, in case you don't know D.A. Carson, uh, he's a brilliant man, uses a ton of big words. Um, He's written and and edited over, uh, I think, 60 books. He he helped start the Gospel Coalition. He served as a professor of New Testament for years and years and years. He's He's a Canadian um, he's got this Canadian accent that, to me, it's, it's different than a lot of Canadian accents I've heard, and it, it makes him sound like really proper, okay? So, all that for this quote. Um, so he says this in regards to the church. He says, evangelize or die, which cracks me up that, that he said that, but there's a logic there to it, right? If the church isn't sharing the gospel, none will be added, right? How can they respond to the gospel if it isn't preached, but, but a church that longs for unbelievers to be reconciled to God, that church has life in it. There's, there's a pep in its step. It's, it, it's, it's a church that is, is vitalized. It's a, a body where, where, where there are new people being added, not, not just because they moved from out of town, but, but they're added because they've come to know Jesus. Man, it, 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 it's fuel for this church to continue to, to see the lost come to know Jesus. And I'm not trying to beat us up here, but I have to ask us, when's the last time that we were in a conversation with someone, and we, someone that didn't know Jesus, and we talked to them 
about Christ or, or, or looked for an opportunity to talk to them about Christ? Right? Is this a part of your daily life? Or are you looking for ways, for, for opportunities to talk about Jesus? And if you aren't, what's the biggest thing that's holding you back? Are we praying for the lost to be saved? And God is so glorified when his people talk about his son, Jesus, even when hearers don't respond in faith. When we step out in faith and talk about Jesus, we bring glory to God. And this, this happens, obviously, globally, too. Um, this, uh, the church can so often pay lip service uh, to missions and, and even throw money to missions and outreach, but be very self-focused. It, it's, uh, it's a church, uh, it can become a church that, that has Christians that, that know their Bibles, have solid doctrine, and yet haven't seen someone come to know Jesus in years. J.D. Greer says, without the mission, the church is not a church. It's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. So how are, are you uh, involved globally with what's going on? Are you aware? You could start by praying for our missionaries back on the bulletin board in, in the fellowship hall. We have missionaries. Pick one of them. Pray for them. Every, every week, pray for them. At some point, perspectives classes will start up again. I'm sure we'll host one within the next couple of years. That would be a great way to increase your heart for missions. The purpose of the church is, is to glorify God, and, and we primarily do that through worship, discipleship, and evangelism. And let me close with, with briefly talking about how critical unity within the body of Christ is in, in glorifying God. Uh, Ephesians 4, this is, I'm sure, for many a familiar passage. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The, the local church, right, Little C Church and Universal Church, uh, we must be united with Christ and in Christ. Uh, how effective will the ministry of reconciliation be if we can't stay reconciled to one another within the family of God? Right? What kind of testimony do we have to the world if the church is full of division and, and broken relationships? But our unity isn't just that we dig deep and, and forgive one another because we know we're supposed to do that. No, our, our unity is with Christ. And, and that's how we're united with one another. Uh, A.W. Tozer uh, talks about this. He talks about how critical it is for the, the church to glorify God by being united. But it's, it's united in becoming like Christ. And he gives this analogy. If you, if you had 100 pianos and, and you tuned them all to one another there would be differences in the tuning of these 100 pianos. But if you took those 100 pianos and tuned them all to one tuning fork, they would be, they would be united. They would, be, uh, they would sound the same. And similarly, unity in the church isn't trying to be the same as everyone else. It's becoming like Jesus. The united church in Christ glorifies God. Let's pray together. God, we... Uh,
we want to grow as your church. We want to grow in bringing you glory, God. We we want to we want to worship you um, in in the ways that you have laid out. We want to make disciples uh, according to your word, God. We we want to we want to bring glory to you by by edifying one another, by building up your people, God. We want to glorify you by telling people about you, Jesus. That some would receive you as Lord, God. We we pray. We pray that you'd help us in this, God. That, that we would be a church that, that brings you much glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.